It's so good to see everybody. Blessings upon you, wherever you may be. All my Cornerstone family and friends, not only in other parts of the country, we know you're, you're in other parts of the world. And just, wow, just so thankful we can be here together. Share this time, walk through this time, make this journey. These are challenging times right now. I know that. They're not easy. You know, I do long for the day <laughs> when actually we'll be able to come together again and gathered in, as a people gathered uh, in presence, which is a little different than what we're doing right now online. I just want to remind everybody that we're not going to rush. We're going to keep this going. The online Sundays are going to just going to be a part of our church life for a long time, even when we start to regather and we're planning and preparing for that. We're praying for that. We're anticipating it. It'll start modestly. But when that time comes, there'll be uh, a journey that we'll all make together and, and we'll kind of run this dual track for a long time. Of course, there's a lot of other things going on in our world right now and in our nation right now, the, the types of pain and division and discussions that are taking place. We've had to sit with a lot of things. I've heard from so many of you. I've talked a lot about what it means to, to just sit and, and hear pain. And we've, we've been, you know, trying to understand the impact of, of racism and what a devastating sin that is when it's just allowed to run rampant at the same time. You know, I'm trying to really hear everybody's heart on just, you know, what, they need, you know, what everyone needs. I'm realizing everybody's coming at this, these things from different directions and different ones are troubled for different reasons. And, you know, I, I'm trying to be both encouraging and supportive of our African-American community inside of our church, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who I love and also care for the parts of our church that are connected to the law enforcement community and and the unique feelings that they have right now and the pain they're feeling. And just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we're trying to balance out and, and just you know, understand and support blessed other peacemakers. And when we say that we're not disregarding justice and righteousness, we're just saying that we want to be more about solving things or making things better and not just sort of saying, here's what we're all against, but let's talk about and pray about how our church can maybe have a few initiatives that we can do that have more long-term impact. And that even after certain things maybe have died down, we can still continue to be doers of good. And so we're trying to explore prayerfully what that could look like and sit with that in the days ahead. Well, we'll talk more about that and how we can make a positive difference for longer term change and improvement. But the message itself that I'm about to share is, you know, the Good Samaritan, the second piece of what, what we started with last week. It's just, it's just really, it, there couldn't be, in my opinion, a better teaching for us to be with. Because so much of it had to do with how Jesus taught us how we're supposed to love. Love the other, love our brother, be a neighbor, right? All of these things, what love does. That's what we're going to zero in on, what love does, how it shows up. And so, you know, just keep your hearts open and let's keep our hearts open to what the Lord might want to say to us specifically. The principles that I'm going to explore are going to be more general. They're not so much going to be directly connected to the issues that are specifically going on in the culture. They're more principles that we can use to examine our own heart. And so they're designed to encourage and strengthen and be more expansive. Keep that in mind. Okay, keep the purpose in mind. 
There's a blessing in this because the word that Jesus gave us is a word that is very relevant for where we are right now. And I'm going to, again, just invite us into that place. Um, you know, in the coming weeks, we're going to hear from other teachers. I'm going to just do the front and the back ends and share and update us and pray and introduce. We might have a few other teachers sharing the teaching, but for me, this is a special moment because it's an opportunity to explore a passage that in a teaching of Jesus that I just absolutely love. And so we're going to hear a song. We're going to share a song that sets the table in a way for where we're going. I'll come back with the primary teaching and then come back around again on that and finish it all up. But let's let our heart be open and soft. Even now, Lord, we ask this in Jesus name.
So our series is uh, Engage. It's about putting our faith in the play. It's about, it's about our faith showing up. It's about m- more than words, but also how we live. It's about the everydayness of our life and, and how we, you know, live out this faith of ours, this love that we say we have for Jesus. How does it show up? How does it show up in our relationships? You know, this example, and we started it last week, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last week, we sort of set it up and we spent some time with it. I would like to finish it. It's a little two-piece here. One of the things people ask me every now and then, they say, hey, what's your favorite parable? And I always say, oh, it's, it's my favorite parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. But if I was picking a second one, it would be this one. The parable of the Good Samaritan. I love this story. I think it is filled with life and I never walk away from it not feeling a little bit moved and humbled that somehow God's calling me to be more like him and challenging maybe selfishness, you know? And so Lord, I ask that you would, you would speak to us through this word, that you would allow it to be alive in us and that you would instruct us in it. And so I, I ask for this blessing even now over what we're about to share over all of you. All right. Hey, I'm just going to read through Luke 10, the passage. I'm not going to spend a lot of time resetting it. I did that last week, but I want to just move through it and then get to the story itself and then sit with it in a way that I think will help equip us to love better. And so uh, here we go. Verse 25, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him put Jesus to the test. One of the versions says, a lawyer, a scribe, he, uh, he asked Jesus a question, a question that was designed, I think, to maybe catch Jesus in some way, or at least to put Jesus on the spot. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, life in its fullest? What is your understanding of the most significant thing in life? And he, that is Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? You're a scribe. What is your reading of it? And so he, the lawyer answered and he said, well, (laughs) you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And you shall love, well, and your neighbor as yourself. Yes, this is the greatest thing. In so doing, the lawyer had combined two of the great teachings of the Old Testament, the Shema and the command in Leviticus to love your neighbor as yourself. And he answered, well, he did. And Jesus said as much, he said in verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered rightly, do that, do this and you will live. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, well, well, who is my neighbor? And that sets this up. Then Jesus answered and he said, well, there was a certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, the road to Jericho, and he fell among thieves and they stripped him of his clothing and they wounded him and they departed. They left him half dead. And now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite. When he arrived at the place, came and he looked and he, he passed by on the other side, but there was a certain Samaritan 
as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. And so he went to him and he bandages his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. And he set, set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Hmm? And he said, hmm. the one who showed mercy on him. Yes. And Jesus said to him, then go and do likewise, my friend. Now, there are so many places that we can go with this. One of the things that just catches me every time I read it is that phrase, he fell among thieves. This man was on the road to Jericho. And along that road, he got seized by robbers who beat him and stripped him and left him for dead, taking everything he had. He is a picture of a man overwhelmed in his trouble. And every time I read the phrase that is rendered in this translation among thieves, that he fell among thieves, that he was overcome by robbers, but he fell among thieves. It just, it just reminds me, he didn't plan that day for this to happen, but it happened. And it's a reminder to me that at least in part, we are never far from trouble. I'm not trying to create paranoia. I'm just saying it as it is. When I think of among thieves, I always think about the precarious nature of life and how vulnerable we really are. And I think we find out at certain times, like we're living in right now, that sometimes we're not as secure as we think we are. And there are times when we actually do fall among thieves. When, of course, what I'm talking about here is the problems of life surround us. And if we, we let them, they bind us, right? I'm talking about the things that fall upon us and leave us half dead, bloody and beaten and emotionally broken. Yeah. On the side of a road, so to speak. Now, those things can be a combination of things. They could be things that are external predominantly in our lives, a series of things that could happen to us, maybe health related, work related, uh, you know, issues that we're having to deal with situations that emerge complications that arise, hardships that begin to overtake us. External things can begin to beat us down and if they come in waves, they can, they can really be difficult to, to go through. Sometimes though, that the harder thing is actually not the external, but actually the internal, the thieves that that sees us in a different way, the things that have to do with our heart, the, in, in our mind, our thoughts, the anxious thoughts and the fears that strike us, that take us down, that literally can, you know, weigh us down. When you have a relational pain, when we have internal struggle, when we are hurting or we've felt deep loss or we're grieving or we feel frustrated or damaged or we find ourselves incapable of breaking free from certain addictive and destructive patterns and, and ways of being 
that have been ingrained into us and we feel overwhelmed by our own sense of weakness and frailty and vulnerability. Uh, I don't know what it is. I just know sometimes that there is such a thing as having stress or feeling anxious about decisions that need to be made or conversations that have to happen where we literally can feel it in our body. The body gives away things. It does. It, it's an amazing instrument that God designed. It tells the truth on us. And, and I know I have felt that. I have felt the, literally the weight of, I mean, it, it, that's the, one of the best ways I could describe it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a, when anxiety hits or stress hits, or you're just, you know, thinking about what you're going to have, we have to deal with or how we're feeling. It, it starts to just create a, almost like our body is under the weight of it. You, 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 it's like pressure is on us. That's the only way I know how to describe it. You, you, your whole body feels it. And it just got me thinking about, you know, how he fell among thieves. And I thought about the thieves that steal our peace, the thieves that steal our peace, the peace of mind. You know, Jesus wants us to be at peace in our heart with him and with others. And the thieves that we fall among can steal those, steal that peace away. And, and um, you know, it also reminds me of the plight of some of the people who are around us. I mean, sometimes it's the the people that we care about the most, that we know the best, that we feel their pain, for they are close to us. And when we see them, in a way, fall among thieves, now that could be for some of us, it could be our children, you know? Or for some of us, it could be our parents. I mean, I, I don't know. It could be people we care deeply about, our siblings, a brother, a sister, uh, someone who we love dearly. and. We are seeing them fall among thieves. We watched them and they are so troubled. They seem overwhelmed by life's trouble and it affects us. It does. And so whether it's the hurting of things from inside of us or the hurt that we feel on behalf of another that affects us, uh, the fact of the matter is that this can be us from time to time, walking down the road to Jericho and all of a sudden we find ourselves among thieves just being overwhelmed on every side or we see someone we love being just devastated by life's troubles. So what are we to do with that? What are we to do with the, the hurting around us or among us? You know, a lot of times I talk about what God's trying to help us get through, but what about, what about the people we love and care for and the hurt that's all around us? Because I do think this story is about who is a neighbor. That was the question. It's about relationships. It's about other people. It's about how the love of Christ is to show up connected to other people. It could be people we know very little about, like in this story, or it could be people that are close to us, that we care for deeply. It's about the other. It really is. And so I want to, I want to sit with this and think about what it means to love like a good Samaritan. And I want to take it and just put it into the lens of everyday life and into the lens of our relationships. And I want to talk about what love does. And I'd like you to think about it with me. Why not? 
What does love do, as, as Jesus taught us here in this story? What does engaged faith look like when it shows up in love? Well, one of the things we are told here is that love always sees people with compassion, doesn't it? It does. Jesus said the Samaritan saw him. Notice that. He saw him and he was moved with compassion. That is such a, such a beautiful word. Compassion. I love that word. I love this word. I mean, I love words. I always have. But compassion is a beautiful word. The etymology of compassion is Latin. Uh, it means co-suffering. Yeah, the Latin root and of the word, you know, compassion is pati. It means to suffer. The prefix com means with. So you put them together and it's to suffer with. When we have compassion, we feel the pain of others, don't we? We, pe- we feel the pain of the other and our heart is moved. The Good Samaritan was touched with compassion, as Jesus told it. And that compassion drove him past his fear. That compassion drove him past his indifference. It, it probably, in, and I think Jesus was getting at this as well, it drove him past his feeling of separation, that, that somehow he as a Samaritan was, was not responsible for someone who was not of his people. Right. That's part of what's happening here. And it is not a coincidence that Jesus uses the Samaritan as his model, because the Samaritan would have had the same feelings that the Jews of Jesus's day had. They would have had a sense that, you know what, that's not my responsibility, not my people that that's that let his people take care of him, that sense of difference. And so whether it was the Samaritan getting past his own fear, his indifference, which gripped the clearly gripped those two things, gripped the priest and the Levite. That's not even a question. They didn't have the excuse that the Samaritan had of, of the fact that there was a, a disparity of a kind of ethnic social disparity there. If anyone had the excuse to not be engaged, it was the Samaritan, but he didn't do it. And Jesus was intentional about it, that it was the Samaritan who saw him and, and chose to have compassion. And that's another thing that we're reminded of here, isn't it? That love engages it's tender, it's gentle, it's kind. You know what? Love does. Love does. Love acts. It responds. It moves on that compassion. It reminds me of something that I read from a book called Love Does by a, a writer named Bob Goff. And he said that love is never stationary in the end. Love doesn't just cut, keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, Love does. It's worth saying again. You can read this with me if you want. Love is never stationary in the end. Love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. And that's what, that's what happens. Love acts. Love responds. Love engages. It, it wasn't just that the Samaritan saw him that seeing moved him to compassion, but it wasn't just that he had compassion, that compassion moved him to action. And that's how it's supposed to be. But it wasn't just even that. I hope you notice it. It touched me this way as well. 
because the Good Samaritan's love was not only activated and engaged, and it was. He moved on that feeling of suffering with this man. He didn't just acknowledge it. He felt it, and then he responded to it. But then it was even more than that. It was, and how can I say it, the way Jesus described it, it was an unrestrained love. It was an extravagant love. It was a love that went far beyond what, what anyone would have expected. It was beautiful. It was just beautiful the way Jesus describes it, that his affection and attention was given with, with tenderness and care. And I, I read this and I, I was struck by the tenderness of it. I was by the, the tender humility in it. The, but I just, I found myself thinking about the character that I love from Victor Hugo's just you know, exceptional story, story for all time, Le Miserable, and his central character, Jean Valjean, who becomes a transformed man because of the love of Christ and how the love of Christ takes this scarred, angry, bitter, hard man who's been unfairly treated and unjustly imprisoned and who is just bitter with life and how because of an act of forgiveness and the love of Christ displayed towards him, it breaks his heart, changes his life. And Jean Valjean becomes a different man, a man who goes from being hard and bitter to being soft and tender and caring a picture of a Christ-like figure, a man truly transformed by the compassion of Christ, becoming himself a vehicle of that compassion. And Hugo had something in his mind, no question about it, about what happens when we truly understand how much we are loved as well. And so this neighbor to this wounded man, the fact that Jesus said it was a Samaritan. Now, again, what we don't know is were the in the story, because we're not told, were these men passing by in the same direction? Were they leaving Jericho on their way to Jerusalem or were they going in different directions? And we know one thing. We know the man who was beaten and, and half dead on the road. He had been coming from Jerusalem on the road to Jericho. But the, but the, the fact that Jesus describes him as a Samaritan only would have added to the... Uh, astonishment of the audience who were no doubt listening with mouths agape and ears attuned to the nuances of the words of Jesus as, as he described it. And they would have marveled also. No, no question about it. They would have marveled as Jesus described the extravagance of the man's compassion for we're told that he knelt down he got off his, his donkey, if I can put it that way. That always is how I see it. He got off his donkey and he knelt down and he bound his wounds and he cleaned them with oil and he cleaned it with wine and he lifted him up and he placed the man on the animal and he took him to an inn and he brought, brought him to that place with his own arms carrying him and he bought him a room. And remember, it cost two denarii. And a denarii at the time of Jesus was considered to be about a, a common day's wage. So 
it was a decent amount of money that he put down and he left him there with the innkeeper. And then he, he said, what's more, he, I, I'm giving you an open tab and if he needs more to sustain him, I'll pay for it. I'm good for it. I'll come back around and you know me and I'll take care of it. You know, is that that extravagance of love? Is that not an example also of the love of God on display for you and me? I have felt that love. I know that love and I... I'm humbled by that love, the love of Christ. I know it. It's the love that not only was displayed because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, but you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, but also the love that I still experience on a daily basis. Um, I still and will always need His grace. I will never be so good. Uh, just not going to happen that I don't need the Lord's love and tenderness. I need his tender mercies. I do. And if I need them, if I need his grace and his tenderness to work in my life, then I cannot live life angry. Um, there's so much vitriol going around us, isn't there? There are so many reasons to be um, in a place of continual disturbance. There's bad news everywhere. We see inhumanity from one to another. We see evil magnified and heartlessness. Uh, we see things that come out of people and it can make us angry. We can get caught up in the anger of the culture. I mentioned the vitriol of the words that are just shared all the time. And I think on social media even more so because there's kind of a subtle anonymity behind it that somehow people feel more free to be more vile and evil, angry. It just, you put it all together and you get a, a culture in great disrepair with hurt and anger everywhere. And we can get, if we're not, if we're not careful, we can get sucked into these offenses and we can start getting ourselves defined by reaction to injustice. And we can start to get enveloped in the negativity. And I'm not saying we are to be a people who are only Pollyannish and, and just, you know, got our head, you know, heads in the sand and are not aware, but I don't think that should be the dominant theme of our life. And if it is, we're making a mistake. Uh, the dominant theme of our life should be the love of Christ in us and at work through us. This is the tie that should bind us at the deepest level to one another. It's something that we must choose to allow to happen in our lives, that we are not to become characterized by the dominant streams of our culture, but rather we are to walk as a peculiar people, people of light and people of the life, that we are to seek to have our hearts aligned with him and to push aside anything that would pull us away from a place of spiritual equanimity and not allow disturbance to run rampant inside of our heart and not to be just overwhelmed by things 
and let those things define us. I think you know what I'm saying. I think that we all need to allow the grace of God and our knowledge of that at work in us to be a motivating factor in the way in which we live out our lives, that we are to be a people who forgive because we have been forgiven. We are to be a people who will not allow hate to dominate because we have been affected by the dominant love of Christ at work in us. So I just can't be at peace in a place that is contrary to that. You know, I've noted it in my own heart as well. I might try to justify it. I might try to hold on to something that's an offense. I might try to somehow be at peace with anger that is not being addressed and is beginning to move in a direction that is actually going to be unhelpful. And yet those two things aren't compatible, right? They're, they're, the love of Christ cannot, it's almost like we can't have, there's not room for both of those things. There's not really room for the love of Jesus to be the dominant story of our life and then another story of anger or hatred or resentment. Those two things can't, can't live together well. They're not meant to be together in a place like that because love is meant to show up and dominate us, the love of Christ. And I mean that in the best way, right? Another thing that love does, and this is just throwing this on there as well, is that love chooses to act with spontaneity as well. You know, most of our tests come, and I can put it this way, as, as when we're on the road to Jericho, it, they do. When we're on the, the journey of life, that's how I see the road to Jericho. I see it as a metaphor for the journey of life. And as we come around the bend, like the man on the road to Jericho coming around the bend, a bend in the road, and then all of a sudden we're confronted by what we did not anticipate. And when that moment happens, a choice must be made, right? Just like he, he, didn't, he didn't start out the day, oh, I'm going to have, I'm gonna have this uh, in, interaction with a man on the side of a road who, who's half dead, and then I'm going to have to make a decision. He wasn't thinking that way. A lot of times when we're making our way through life, when we're on the road to Jericho, it's in these places around the bend, around the turn, where we're confronted with something that we have to then make a decision. Am I going to engage this or am I going to pass it by? And you know, I kind of, the way I look at it is you and I, we stumble upon life choices. And a lot of times those life choices, those decisions on the road to Jericho call us to a point of making a call. Like they create, if I can put it this way, they actually create opportunities, relational opportunities, opportunities that come upon us unannounced. And that's why I'm calling it an opportunity because in these moments we get to, we get to choose to live out our faith. Now those opportunities may emerge in relation to people that we don't know so well, a stranger, or they may emerge with people we know very well, people who are, we are in closest relationship with. And when those opportunities emerge on the road to Jericho, we are given a chance to deepen our life with God or to disconnect it. In those places, we must decide, and Jesus is making this point very clear, we must decide if we are willing to be a neighbor. Will we love the way he wants us to love? How will we demonstrate then our love and, that, and our care? Right? That's the other question that's being asked. How will, we how will we respond to the Spirit's prompting? In certain situations on the road to Jericho, in the journey of life, we will be asked this question, will we go the extra mile? So not only is it having to do with will I see, not only 
will it have to do with, will I have compassion? Not only will it have to do with, uh, am I willing to act on that compassion? But then it also will be connected to what am I going to have my attitude like in the action? This is a key thing. It's a nuance, but I hope we can get it. I've had it happen to me. I have responded to the Lord. I have seen things through the eye of compassion. I have felt the responsibility to respond in the Lord and therefore made a decision to act on my faith. But I have not always done it with the right attitude. The tenderness was missing. The fact, if anything, it might have been done grudgingly. And I'm going to suggest that when we respond in a, to a right thing, and we do it in a wrong way. We undermine the blessing it was meant to be. And I've, I, I wish I can say I, I don't do, I've, I haven't done it and I don't do it, but it's not true. I, I know there have been times I've responded to something because in a relational situ situation where I knew I was supposed to do it and I did, but I didn't do it with a great attitude. And something was lost of what it was meant to be. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, the Samaritan, as Jesus describes him, doesn't, doesn't just go, oh man, ah, you know, kick, kick dirt on the ground or just, you know, roughly deal with the man and say, I can't believe it. Get up here. You know, ah, I got to throw you, you onto my horse and ah, whatever my donkey, I know. And just, you know, take you, you know, it's just a waste of my time, but I gotta, gotta do it. Because it's the right thing. See, that, 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 you know what I'm saying? If we do that, we lose something. The opportunity. What will our attitude be when we respond in love? This is part also. The, the, don't miss it. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. I don't, I, I'm trying not to miss it. Is that the tenderness of the man, the tenderness of the Samaritan, the attentiveness, the thoroughness, the extravagance of love, of relational sacrifice, the way in which it was done, the heart of it, the, the way he was being in it, these things, this is what matters. It does. But I guess none of that happens if we don't choose to make ourselves available to God. And so if I can close it this way, I would say the last thing I would mention that love does that we're told in this story, this beautiful story, <laughs> is that love always calls us to availability. And what do I mean by that? In the moment when we are having to make a call, a decision, am I going to be a passerby or am I going to respond to what the Lord is asking me to address? I guess that's the question as we make our, down, our, our way down the road to Jericho. Are we available to God? Are we available to God? Are we available? Are we willing to be expressions of spontaneous love? Not planned out love, but spontaneous love. And don't miss that here. I, I think planned love is fantastic. But this is about spontaneous love as much as anything. 
uh, I, I, one more thing Bob Goff said in that book, Love Does. He says, I used to think that you had to be special for God to use you, but now I know you simply need to say yes. <laughs> I go, I, I can relate. You know, I used to think you had to be special for God to use you, but now I know you simply need to say yes. And here's the thing. If we limit this, by the way, this story, the parable to only those who are on the margins of society, we will misinterpret what Jesus was saying. I mean, it, it can include that and maybe it best fits there. But when we really think about it, this person who was injured on the road was most likely a business person himself, a tradesman, a trader, some person who dealt with, um, you know, resources because you can't be robbed if, usually if you don't have something to be robbed of. And so this man of some means was left on the side of the road. He really wasn't a down and outer. Although I think it, it certainly can fit beautifully with the idea of, of ministering to the needs of those who have very little or are wounded or are hurting. And, but just remember, there are hurting people, people all around us, you guys. There are down and outers, yes, and there are up and outers as well. There are people who this, who need our attention, who we do not know who they are, strangers and in utter need. And there are people who are friends of ours and they are in need of a different kind. There are people who are co-workers to us who we need to be open to helping. And there are people in our own family circles that need us desperately. The fact of the matter is it could be a family member or a church member. It could be someone in the church community that, that we have been connected to in a small group that we're a part of or a ministry group that we're a part of. It could be someone that just we now know about their need and God wants us to respond to that. The point is that, that it, it is, is that need is everywhere and these moments are going to come. And, and Jesus is just saying, you know, I want you to live with open eyes and an open heart. This is not just about, you know, even serving the underprivileged or sponsoring a child, but it's even more than that. It, it, if we if we only limit it to that, we miss it so much. It's about helping the hurting people that God places in our lives. It's about, and maybe even more, it's about the, the hurting ones that God brings us across our path. And it says, this is the one I need you to help here. And that could be someone very close to us. And it, it has to do with our willingness to be a wounded healer. It does. It has to be, a, a, has to do with our willingness to be an imperfect blesser. And sometimes it just needs to be something as simple as being a trustworthy listener who is open to praying and just listening, really. I'll put it this way. Maybe God is just calling us to pray and stay. Pray and stay available. Pray and stay available. You know, to be a people who give and bless tenderly in many ways many beautiful ways. Yes. That is our mission, isn't it? I mean, that's our church. Uh, we are to live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. You know, that's our 2020 pursuit, right? To sow and water and reap, to sow good because we want to sow God. We want to sow good because we want to sow God and he is so good. And he's so God at work in our lives, right? So we want to be his hands and feet. Let, let that be the case externally, outside of our relationships that are close and also internally as well. All right. I've got a lot more. I have a, actually, 
I have a little thought to share with you on the way out, and then I want to bless you all. But we're going to pause and just have a have a, a chance to engage this moment in song. And I want to remind everybody, as I do, that even though we don't have a formal giving time, this is the time when I do mention to everyone that if you can, and you have been, some of you been doing this beautifully, thank you. But this is the time for tithes and offerings, If you just to remind you of it. If you have a chance to be faithful in your giving, especially if you've been blessed with the means to do it, please. Remember, you can do that on the app, online. You can, you can do it you know, in a more traditional way and send it in you know, to the offices, whatever, whatever works. But just know that it's making a huge difference. It really is. And it says something about you and um, your love for this work and, and all that we're doing together as we make this journey together. So with that in mind, let's share this song. I'll come back around and we'll close this out together. All right, here we go. Look down from a broken sky Traced out by the city lights My world from a mile high Best seat in the house tonight Touch down in the cold black tar Hold on for the sudden stop Breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos All those people going somewhere Why have I never cared? the best to smile at me, to hide what's underneath. There's a man just to ride, black suit and a bright red tie, too ashamed to tell his wife he's out of work, he's buying time. All those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second, give me your eyes so I Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the brokenhearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 I've been here a million times A couple of million hours just more pass me by, I swear I never thought that I was wrong. I want a second glance, so give me a second chance to see the way you've seen the people all along. Give me your eyes, give me your eyes, everything that I keep missing. Lord, give me your arms for the brokenhearted. Give me your heart, give me your eyes so I can see, give me your eyes, give me your eyes, everything that I keep missing, give me your heart.
also, <laughs> as we go our separate ways, I just, I just want to remind you that, well, I want to remind all of us that what we water, that's what's going to grow. You know, we're going to reap what we sow, but what we water, that's what's going to grow. And so I really want to challenge all of us to think about the people that God is bringing across our path. And it may not even be directly in presence. It may have to do with who he's bringing across on our minds. Like even in the course of the time that we've spent together, there may be a, something that the Lord has prompted in your heart, a name that he's got you thinking about, or maybe you were already thinking about a person and this just confirms it. This just reinforces the fact that you're sensing God wanting you in some way to, to bless and to heal or to refresh or to encourage, send a note, send a prayer, communicate, give a listening ear, you know, respond in Christ, be what Jesus talked about. Let the spirit of the good Samaritan rest upon us. And the other thing I would say is that whatever we choose to do, do it with a great attitude, right? Let's be, let's be his hands and feet. Let's be a representation of his heart. Let's love in, in word and, and in deed. And, and let's just live with openness and open eyes and, you know, Let's be alive in Christ. I'm convinced when we bless, we get blessed. When we, when we help others, we ourselves are being helped. It's not our main motivation. It's just the byproduct. It's the kingdom way. So I pray blessing over you. I pray the grace of Jesus over you. I pray for your healing, that you may be a healer in his name. I ask for the Lord to bless us all, spirit and soul and our bodies. Help us to stay confident and optimistic. Lord, I ask that. Help us to live with open eyes, All right? Our hearts are soft before you. We wanna do our best for you, Lord. So I ask this blessing in Jesus' name. All right, love you guys. I'm glad we're making this journey together. Whatever the day is ahead of us hold, we're gonna go there together and the Lord is with us. All right, see you soon, bye.